Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. Welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today. Um, we are in uh, our series called Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. We're talking about relationship problems. And one of the things we're going to talk about that really is, presents a lot of difficulty in all relationships is holding a grudge. And really, holding a grudge is tied to some of the things we've already talked about in this series so far. You know, for instance, sometimes we hold a grudge because we're jealous of someone. We're jealous of what they have or what they look like or uh, a status that they've obtained. Or sometimes we're jealous of someone, I'm sorry, jealous. Sometimes we hold a grudge against someone because they've betrayed us. And that feeling that we feel of what they did to us has stuck with us and it has turned into a grudge because you know, they betrayed us at some point in the past. So all these things that we're talking about are connected together. And so today, to help us understand about holding a grudge, we're going to use a pager. That's right, a pager. How many of you remember the days of the pager? Anybody? Oh, good. Quite a few of you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. If you don't remember or you don't have any idea what a pager is, okay, let me tell you how these things worked, all right? If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, they would get a phone, and they would get a phone, probably something that looked like this, right? You remember these with the cord that attached somewhere to the wall? So they would get their phone, and they would dial your pager number, and then when they got a dial, a special tone, then they would type in their number, and then, and then that number would come across the pager. And so, you know, for instance, if this was your pager, and you know, that number came across, you would say something like, hey, I got it, I got it. Jenny, I got your number. Okay, good. Some of you will get that later. Some will have to explain that to you later on as well. But it's funny. Okay, so anyway, so you get that number, that number call, comes across your pager, and then you have to go find another phone. And maybe you've seen a phone like this, they're on display in the Smithsonian. Um, you go find your phone, and then you call that number back, and then you end up talking to that person. Honestly, I have no idea why this technology did not survive, right? It's crazy, right? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Like, what in the world does that have to do with holding a grudge? Well, I think that you're going to see as we walk through the message today. Because it has everything to do with holding a grudge. Because I'm telling you, look, here's the deal. A grudge ruins pretty much every relationship. Because the longer we hold on to a grudge, the longer we're holding on to resentment. And that anger and that resentment, eventually, it turns into disgust for that other person. And so we don't want to be around that person. We don't even like that person anymore. And everything that they just say just grates on us. And then that disgust, it turns to disdain. And that disdain turns into hatred. And so we don't want to have anything to do with that person anymore. And so we cut that person off. We cut them off from everything. We cut them off Per, uh, from person-to-person -person contact, we even cut them off from online contact. And so we'll unfriend them, we'll unfollow them, we'll, you know, um, 
you know, do whatever it is to, you know, get them off of our social media, maybe even delete our own accounts so we can, you know, put some distance between us and that other person because we're holding a grudge against them. Look, and I, and I know because I've seen it in my own life. There was a guy I grew up with. Honestly, he's really a good guy. And we were friends for a lot of years. But then I, I found out that he was constantly talking about me behind my back to other people and sabotaging my friendships with them. And I had I'd never done anything to this guy. I mean, not, I'd never done anything that I know of to cause this guy to do things. But I mean, face to face, I mean, he was all like, hey, buddy, buddy, you know, really cool, like, everything's good. But, but behind my back, he was as two-faced as could possibly be. And so you know what? I just put some distance between me and him. Like, I didn't want to be around him anymore, and so I chose not to. I, I put some distance between me and him. So when he called, I didn't, I didn't talk to him. When he would page me, I wouldn't call him back. I put some real healthy distance between me and him because you know what? I was holding a grudge because of what he had done. And he had done it over and over and over and over again. And so we just kind of parted ways. And I've often thought to myself, I've often wondered, what God might have done in my life had I just talked to him about it and forgiven him for what he had done. I wonder what God might have wanted to do in that friendship and through that friendship in my own life and maybe even in his too if I had just handled it in a way that would honor God rather than just holding on to a grudge. And so you know what? When we graduated, we just left. And that was it. Nothing ever resolved, nothing ever even talked about. We just left. I'm telling you. Holding grudges doesn't just hurt relationships, it ruins them. It it ruins them. And the longer we hold a grudge, the more that distance creates between us and that other person. And, And again, it's like a pager because we no longer have any meaningful contact with that other person anymore. There's only distance. That's what happens. And even if that person does try to reach out to us, we choose not to call back or respond back because that person hurt us and, and we're angry and that anger has turned to resentment, that resentment has turned to disdain, that disdain has turned to disgust, and that disgust has turned to a grudge. And so we don't want to be around them anymore. Well. How can God stop all that from happening? How can God stop that progression from happening in our lives? What could, and if we ha- are holding on to a grudge, what could God do to release that? And so that's not there any longer. Well, I think in order for us to understand that, we're going to look at the life of Jesus because there came a time in Jesus' life when he had a chance to hold a grudge. I mean, a real good chance to hold a grudge, but he didn't. Why didn't he? How did he not hold a grudge? What prevented Jesus from doing that? So I want to look at that story this morning. So go ahead and pull out your message notes if you haven't done so already. Let's start by asking this question. How can the Lord keep grudges from taking hold in my heart 
and ruining my relationships. Well, the first thing I need to keep in mind is this. Number one, I need to remember that just like me, God is not through with that person yet. Just like me, God is not through with that person yet. So let's look at this verse. It's in, found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. The Bible says this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. I want you to circle the word Matthew. So this is the guy we're talking about. We're talking about Matthew. Sitting at the tax collector's booth. I want you to circle tax collector's booth. And then I want you to do this. I want you to draw a line and connect the two circles. I want you to connect the two circles. Because I want, it's important to know that Matthew was the tax collector. And then I want you to underline all the rest of this, because this is what Jesus says to him. He says, follow me, he told him, as Jesus told Matthew. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, those two words that I had you circle and connect, Matthew, it's important to know that Matthew was the tax collector. And look, tax collectors were probably the most hated people in any town, and here's why. There's really two reasons. The first is this, is that the tax collector could basically charge any rate of tax that he wanted to. All Rome cared about was that Rome got their share. And so the tax collectors were allowed to set a rate at any, at any rate higher than that that they wanted to. And so essentially, these tax collectors would set these exorbitant rates, and they were getting rich off of the hard work and the backs of the people in that town. And so people hated them for it. But it was worse than that. It was worse because Rome would auction off the rights to be a tax collector. And so people, when, when Rome kind of took over a town or acquired a, a, a nation, the people of that town would bid on becoming a tax collector. And so the tax collectors were hometown people. They were from that town. And they became a tax collector, and so people viewed them as traitors. Because they were a traitor to their own country because they were taxing neighbors that they had known all their lives. They were taxing other families whose kids that they had grown up with. They were taxing friends. They taxed everybody. And so because they were a traitor and they were taxing at exorbitant rates, people hated tax collectors. And with, honestly, pretty good reason. Now, catch this. Do you know the name of the town where Matthew was a tax collector? If you read the context, you'll find out that Matthew was a tax collector in the town named Capernaum. You might want to write that down somewhere. He was a tax collector in, the town, in a town named Capernaum. Capernaum was in the region of Nazareth. And who grew up in Nazareth? Jesus. This was, and Capernaum was actually Jesus' hometown. Matthew was a collector in Jesus' hometown. And because it's Jesus' hometown, guess who else lived there? Mary, as in Mary and Joseph. And we also know from the Bible that Joseph, by the time that Jesus starts his public ministry when he's about 30 years old, Joseph has passed away. Joseph was present in Jesus' life up until the time he was 12, and sometime, years, sometime in the years between 12 and 30 of Jesus' life, his dad, Joseph, passes away. We don't know any details, but we do know from other passages in the Bible that Jesus had, at, had five brothers and at least two sisters. 
So Jesus is the oldest of at least eight children. And Mary, for at least part of that time, was a single mom. And as a single mom in this culture, she would have had almost no way to make an honest living. And so they were in poverty. And so that meant that all the kids had to work to help support the family. And part of that work was to pay their taxes. And you know what? Matthew likely didn't even care. Because he would have taxed Mary and the family of Jesus just as much as he taxed everybody else because he did not care. And so because of that, I am sure that there, was, there were plenty of birthdays without presents. I'm sure that there were plenty of times when they were hungry because they didn't have enough to eat. And I'm sure there were plenty of seasons where there just simply was no extra. And so for Jesus... He had every reason to hold a grudge against Matthew because Matthew is a big part of the reason why his family never made it out of poverty. I mean, think about that. Jesus had every reason to hold a grudge against Matthew and to hate Matthew because Matthew was a big part of the reason why his family had such a hard time while he was growing up. But Jesus doesn't hold a grudge, does he? When Jesus looked at Matthew, he didn't see a traitor to his people and to his own family. Instead, he saw a person that God could use for something great in the future. That's what Jesus saw. And so Jesus asked Matthew to become one of his 12 disciples. And Matthew responds, yes. And Matthew goes on to eventually write The book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament. What a turnaround. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? That's unbelievable. Okay? And I want you to notice that in all the Gospels, there's never an account where Jesus ever brings up to Matthew what Matthew had done. Jesus never brings it up. So clearly, Jesus had already forgiven Matthew. Honestly, it's probably a really long time ago that Jesus had forgiven him. See, Jesus loved Matthew because Jesus knew that God wasn't through with Matthew yet. God had big plans for him. So look, here's the deal. When you're about to throw away a friendship, you're about to throw away a relationship, you're about to kick a family member to the curb because of what they have done to you, you need to remember, God is is not through with that person yet. Just like God's not through with you, God is not through with that person yet. And if you, listen, if you toss that person to the curb like an outdated piece of technology, then you will never know what God might want to do in you through that person's life. You might never know what God does in that person's life and the role that you could have played. You'll never know. And you'll waste that opportunity. So you can't hold a grudge because we've got to remember that just like us, God's not through with that other person yet. Okay? All right, here's number two. I want you to write this down. Second way that God prevents us from holding grudge is this. Is that I just need to think of what holding a grudge looks like from God's perspective. I need to think about what holding a grudge looks like 
from God's perspective. I love how the Living Bible puts this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. It says this, be gentle and ready to forgive, never hold grudges. And here's why. And so I want you to underline the rest of this. Here's why. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. See, it's this underlined part. That's the, the key to showing us how not to hold a grudge. In fact, this is so important. I want us all to say this underlined part out loud together, okay? Ready, go. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And that is so incredibly, incredibly powerful. And here's why. Because if you're a Christian, if you're already a Christ follower, that means that God has already forgiven you for everything that you've ever done. Everything. And so, if God has forgiven you of all that you've ever done, isn't it silly for you not to forgive another person for what they've done to you? And I know, like I get it, I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking because I think think the same thing. But God, you don't know how badly that other person hurt me. So God, what, are you expecting me, you know, just to say, I forgive you, and then you just poof, it's all gone? God, I just don't think I can do that. To which God would say to you and to me, well, why not? And we would say, well, because, because God, because you don't know the amount of pain that person's caused me. When he divorced me, that wounded me, so deeply, I just don't know if I can forgive. God, well, because when, that, when my boss took her word over mine and I lost my job because of it, I mean, that caused a lot of pain for me and my family. God, because when my best friend lied about me to everybody else, I felt so betrayed and that hurt and it has made me so angry. Or are you just expecting me to just forget that that ever happened? No. I don't think God's asking anybody just to forget any of those things ever happened. I don't think he's asking anybody just to, and, and I don't think God is saying that it didn't hurt, that the pain is not real. But here's what God is saying and here's what I know. I know that if you are a Christ follower, you have already been forgiven of everything you've ever done in your life. He's given, forgiven you for everything. And look, don't think for a second that your sin and mine hasn't caused some pain. It has. Our sin, it's caused pain in other people's lives, but let's just put that to the side for a second. It, is, it caused pain for Jesus. Your sin, my sin, caused pain for Jesus Christ when he hung on the cross. Look what the Bible says in Isaiah 53, 5. Look at this. It says, but he, that's Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds. We're healed. See, it wasn't just my sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was my sin that caused pain on the cross. See, 
Jesus was beaten and whipped within an inch of his life. And then he was nailed to a cross through both of his hands, really probably through the wrists. And then both of his feet were stacked on one another and then a nail was driven through both feet on a cross. And it was done so, so that his legs were bent. And so eventually when he became so weak and he couldn't lift himself up to take a breath any longer, and he stayed you know, folded like this, because he couldn't breathe properly, his lungs began to fill with water and he suffocated. And that is how he died. That is a, that is a horrible, horrible way to die. And because of all that pain caused by the, the whips and the beatings and the crown of thorns and the nails and the suffocating, all that happened. He had to go through all that because of my sin and yours and the sin of everybody in the world that he died for. See, it was our sin that didn't just put him on the cross. It was our sin that caused him pain on the cross. But he did it so that you and I could be forgiven. So look, when someone does something that causes pain in our lives, and, and we want to hold a grudge against that person, honestly, and let's just say that they deserve it. Let's just say that they deserve for us to hold a grudge against that person. When, but when you take that one thing that they did, and you stack it up against all the things that you've done wrong in your life, well, there, there's no comparison. When you take the pain that that, one, that person has caused in your life, and I'm not trying to trivialize it, it's real, but when you take that pain that they've caused and you stack it up against all the pain that just Jesus endured on the cross, my friends, there's no comparison. There, there's no comparison. Look, and I, I'm, again, I'm not trying to trivialize the pain that you've been through and you know, trying to make you think that it, like it isn't a big deal. It is. It, it, the pain is big. But look, just be, because your pain is so big, that makes this even more powerful because Jesus has forgiven you of some pretty big stuff too. And the pain that Jesus went through was really big as well. And so there are compared to the piles and piles and piles and piles and piles of things that you and I have done, that honestly, if people in this room knew of what you and I have done, we would be mortally embarrassed. I, I would. You would too. But look, God's forgiven you anyway, and he's forgiven me. And so look, so from God's perspective, from God's perspective, when he looks down from heaven, when he sees all that you've done, and he's just, he's just forgiven it all. And you're holding a grudge against that person for that thing that they did? And I'm, again, I'm not saying it's not real, and I'm saying it's not heavy, and I'm not saying it's not painful. It is. But when you compare that to all the stuff that God's forgiven you from his perspective, there's no comparison. And so we need to see things from God's perspective, and that will help us not hold a grudge. That, I mean, and that's why this verse can say, never hold a grudge. Because remember, the Lord forgave you, and so you must forgive other people. See, hold, get this. Holding a grudge is like holding on to something that's obsolete, like a pager. Holding on to that grudge is like holding on to something obsolete and insisting that it still has a role in your life. And 
when other people look at you, they go, look, man, you got to just let go of that. And you just say, I just don't think that I can. I've got to hold on to this. Nobody else thinks that it has a productive role in your life other than you. So you know what? Like an obsolete pager in a smartphone world. Seriously. You gotta just let it go. I mean, you gotta just let go of that grudge. Because from God's perspective, and really from everybody else's, it feels really out of place and has no place in your life. Okay? But at some point, you have to get to number three. You gotta get to number three. Number three is this. I need to be able to say, you don't owe me anymore. I gotta get to the place in my life where I say, you don't owe me anymore. Look at this verse, Mark eleven twenty five. 25. It says, but when you are praying, get this, but when you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Look, forgiveness in the Bible is always, 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 always talked about in terms of a debt-debtor relationship. It's always. So when someone has sinned and hurt you, they have now created this debt that they owe you. And in order for you to forgive, you have to be able to, just like we think about in money, you have to be able to forgive that debt. But in order for forgiveness to really, to genuinely really happen, you have to properly identify what that person owes you. If you never identify what that person owes you, then, then you never actually really forgive that debt. That is why whenever you say to someone, well, you know what, okay, I forgive you for you know, blank, whatever it is you forgive them for, that's why even when you say that, you really don't feel that much better. You said the right words, and you've identified the act of what they did, but there's no resolution. Not really, because you've never identified clearly what they owe you, what they have taken from you, what they've stolen from you. And when you don't identify that, that's why... You know, you can say the right words, but there's not really any resolution in your heart. Okay, let me give you some examples, and I think that this will become much clearer. Um, let's just say that maybe you've been holding a grudge against a person who's lied about you at work or at school in order to cover up something that they did. Okay, let's just say that's the scenario. What they've really taken from you is your reputation. And they've taken away the trust that other people had in, your, in you as a person. And so in order to really forgive, you, you can't say, well then, I just forgive you for lying about me. What you really need to say is, I forgive you for stealing and tarnishing my reputation and ruining the trust other people had in me. I forgive that. So you don't owe me any more. You see how that works? Let me give you another example. Maybe it's your ex that you're holding a grudge against. And so what you need to say to your ex is, 
I forgive you for ruining the dream of being married until death do us part. You don't owe me that anymore. I mean, that, that, I mean, that's, that's huge. Or maybe you grew up in a broken home, and, maybe, and you hardly saw your dad. And so maybe you need to go to your dad, and you say, you know what, you missed all my birthdays, you missed my school plays, you missed my band concert, you missed my award ceremony. But you know what, you don't owe me that any more. I forgive you. See, when you properly identify the debt that someone owes you, man, I'm telling you, that's when you can finally be free of that grudge. And look, and I know it's really painful because a lot of times when you do this, it brings up all of that old pain that you've been, that's been hiding behind your grudge. But when you bring all that up and you work through that, I'm telling you, that is when you can finally be free. Because otherwise, it ruins every other relationship that you have because all your other relationships, whenever someone does something or they said something that it mirrors or looks like what you're holding a grudge about, then the response from you is like, Wah! I mean, it is way over the top and everybody else is like, what was that? Well, I'll tell you what that was. That was your old grudge slapping them in the face. Because get this, not forgiving someone doesn't just hurt you. It ruins every other relationship in your life. Get this, not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It is. Because not forgiving doesn't hurt them. It hurts you. It hurts every relationship that you have. And so what God is saying is like, look, you need to forgive. Because look, that's what Jesus did for you. When he, Jesus died on the cross, he forgave you for everything that you've ever done. Everything. And so Jesus is saying, if I've done that for you, then why don't you forgive them? See, that's why Jesus died on the cross. So that he could, he could say to our Heavenly Father, they don't owe you anymore. I've paid their debt. They don't owe you. They are forgiven. But in order to receive that forgiveness, you have to ask for it. And so if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come to your life to forgive you, you need to do that. There's a prayer that's in your message notes. I'm going to take a second. I want you to pray it right now. I want you to pray it right now. Let me wrap up by saying this. This, last, this, this weekend, this weekend, I had uh, my high school reunion. And at the reunion was the guy that was two-faced to me growing up. And you know what? Everything was fine. Like, I was genuinely glad to see him. Because he's a good guy. He, he, really, he is a really good guy. And, I, man, I shook his hand. We gave a little bro hug, you know. And we talked and we shared stories and we laughed and we joked and we caught up. I mean, it was great. And the only reason it was great is because I had forgiven him years ago. 
But the only way I was able to do that was I was able to properly identify the debt he owed. And I said in my own heart, he doesn't owe me anymore. And he has no idea. And that's okay. I don't need an apology from him. Just like Jesus didn't need one from Matthew. I don't need anything from him. I needed it for me. I needed it for me. And you need it for you. So, just like a pager that's obsolete and has no role in your life any longer, neither do grudges. They're as obsolete as one of these. So, let it go and forgive. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, for the way out that you show us. Thank you that you show us a way out of holding a grudge because I'm telling you those things, Lord, you know, you see it. They, it just jumps in our heart almost instantly sometimes. And it's so hard to just let it go. But Jesus, just like you didn't hold a grudge against Matthew, that you would help us to see the potential that other people still have, that you would want to use them for great things, and we, don't want, to, we want to be a part of that. Lord, that you would help us see <laughs> that we need to forgive those people and that they don't really owe us anything anymore. And Lord, that in light of all that you've forgiven us, it would make it easy for us to forgive. So help us to do that, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.